Awesome. Well, hey, uh, just again, congratulations, Hannah, on getting baptized. It's awesome. And we just want to celebrate with the Tonkar family. It's so exciting whenever we watch someone take a step of faith and obedience and get baptized. And hey, I just want to remind you, too, that if you're a person that's been coming here to the Medina East Campus and you follow Jesus and you've never been baptized, uh, kind of like that, that video mentioned, we believe that baptism is a way of going public with your faith. It's actually a step of obedience. It's actually, in the Bible, it's the first step of obedience uh, that a believer in Jesus is to take. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never taken that step of being baptized, man, we would encourage you to do that. And so, so you can, uh, I think in those connection cards that Tommy mentioned, you can actually uh, check some of the boxes that apply if you're interested in getting, going uh, public with your faith. We'd love to get you connected to that and, uh, and see so you take that step. So congratulations, Hannah. That's really exciting. Hey, if you are newer or you're a guest here at the Medina East Refrigerator, uh, we just want to say thanks for being here. I just want to tell you real quick, it's not normally this cold in here. If you are a guest, I guess uh, the uh, the facilities guys were telling me that there's there's been some issue with our HVAC and the HVAC people are incredible and they're out here now and they're actually on the roof uh, working on our heating stuff. So feel free to bundle up if you need to as we uh, kind of start today's conversation. If you hear footsteps up on our roof, it's not Santa in the deer; it's um, the HVAC guy. He's also bringing presents for us as well, which is good. So just glad uh, glad to have you. But if you are a guest, again, thanks so much for being here and. And let me just kind of tell you a little bit of what we've been doing here. Uh, this is actually the second week in a series that we started last week that we're calling All Out, All In. And really, it just to kind of catch you up in the conversation, what we're talking about together is really talking about the idea of worship, sort of what we're digging into, is we're talking about really sort of defining uh, what is worship exactly. And at the same time, we're also trying to identify what is it that we worship. So we're kind of doing two things at once, trying to define what is worship, but then help identify what is it that we really do worship. And the reason this conversation is so important, if you were here last week, you might remember Tommy said this. He said, the reason that this whole conversation is so important is because all of us worship something. Uh, every single one of us worships, whether, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're religious or not, uh, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whatever, um, all of us worship something. I guess you could think about it this way. Um, worship is not a function of religion. Okay? It's not just something that religious people do, but worship is actually something that is common to the human experience. In the same way that everybody sleeps, in the same way uh, that everybody breathes, everybody worships something. Everyone bows their life to something. Everyone finds value and worth and significance and a sense of identity uh, in something. And so the, the series is really to kind of help us, like I said, identify what is that, but also define what, what, what exactly does it mean to, to worship. And so that's sort of what we're talking about together. And here's the definition we sort of came up with last week. We said that to worship, if you really want to know what you worship and what it means to worship, we said that really the best way to think about that is, is what we worship is what we are all out and what we are all in about, Right? So if you, you want to know what you worship, you want to know what it means to worship, we said here's kind of a good way to think about it. Worship is what you're all out and what you're all in about. And here, here's what we kind of meant by that. In fact, I'll just kind of give you the definition that Tommy gave us last week. He said that it, it actually, when we talk about all out, all in, we're talking about really this holistic picture of a person. Right? That when we talk about all out, what we mean is we mean behaviors, actions, and habits. Right? That is the, the things I do. Uh, it's my outward behaviors, it's my actions, and it's, the, it, it's sort of, you know, the, the, the things that I physically will do outwardly. And we said by all in, what we're talking about, of course, is we're talking about sort of the internal processes of a person, 
uh, what they value, what they think, what they believe, the motivations, the things that are happening inside of the heart. And so really what we said is this. We said that the, the Bible is going to tell us that what it really means to worship, it's both of these things working together. So it's what I'm all out and what it's I'm all in about. That's really uh, what I worship. Now, that might sound like a pretty simple definition. And it is a pretty simple def- definition, but the reason we think it's so important that we understand it this way is because there is a tendency sometimes when we think about the idea of worship to favor one of these aspects over the other. And so, so for example, what can happen is for many people, and maybe even for some of us here today, that, that our understanding of worship is limited to um, basically how we, how we think about it outwardly, right? We would say it's all out. So for some of us, if I said, tell me, what, you know, what does it mean to worship? What does that mean to you? Uh, you might give me a list of actions and behaviors, right? So you might tell me, oh, well, worshiping is, is what I do, right? And so I, I go to church, and I, I read a Bible, and I pray, right? That's, that's what it means to work. We sing songs together. We sing worship Songs, like that's what it means to worship. It's a set of actions and behaviors. And to some extent or another, that is correct. Uh, But the problem can be that sometimes when we understand worship as simply being actions and behaviors at the expense of or or to neglect of uh, what is happening on the internal processes, what I value and the motives of my heart, Jesus would actually look and warn us against that. And he would say that if you simply focus on the external behaviors and you don't focus on the internal motivations, you're at risk of what Jesus actually calls hypocrisy. Jesus would say, in fact, let me just show you what Jesus himself said in Matthew 23. Jesus said to a group of teachers and, uh, and Pharisees, which these guys were like professional do-gooders, professional religious people, he said, um, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, You're, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of bones and dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people that are righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so Jesus actually warns. He says, if your definition of worship is just about, you know, an external behaviors and actions, but you're not focusing on the internal motivations and values of your heart, you run the risk of being a hypocrite, which some of you might know the word hypocrite that's used in the Greek is actually where we get the word actor from. You're acting, right? You're pretending to be something that's not true. Now, on the, on the flip side, to the opposite extreme, what can also happen is that for some people, they might look at worship and say that worship is just about being all in, right? It's just, it's not about what I do. It's about my, it's about what I believe and it's about what I think and it's about what's in my heart. And here's what I found in my own experience. I found that this tends to be uh, more of the tendency among the younger generation. This is what I found. That it seems that more and more when I talk to people, they say, you see, worship is about, it's about what I feel. It's about what I think. It doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter if I go to church. Doesn't matter if I read the Bible. It's just about me. It doesn't matter if my life looks any different or not. It's just about what's happening in my heart, and that's what it really means to worship. You see, the Bible would actually look at that, and the Bible would warn against that as well. And the Bible would say that if you're all in, but you're not all out, that you actually run the risk of having a deceptive faith. That's what James says. Let me show you what James says. Uh, James, the little brother of Jesus, said in James chapter 1, verse 22, he said, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. You gotta do what it says. In other words, he says, it's not enough just to have uh, like a set of, uh, of beliefs that sit uh, as like an intellectual assent. 
that just sit up here but never work themselves through you. He says, if you have, if that's, what, if that's the way you would define worship, he would say you're, you're actually deceived. In fact, James is gonna go on later and he's gonna say this. He's gonna say in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. He says a faith that doesn't, have, that doesn't actually move you to live differently is not a real faith at all. And so what the Bible is gonna tell us then is if you wanna really know what it means to worship, you gotta get this whole picture in mind, that it means to be all out and all in for something. What you worship is what you're all out and what you're all in about. That's what we worship. And so again, in this series, kind of what we're doing then is we're sort of having a pretty frank conversation about what does it mean to be all in and all out for God? Like, what does it actually mean to worship God? And I know, of course, that some of you have, maybe you make that claim in your life that you worship God. Some of you might still be investing. Maybe you don't make that claim. Uh, But we're actually kind of answering the question, what does it look like then to worship God in all areas of our life? What does it look like to be all in and all out in all areas of our life? And so each week, we're actually looking at different aspects of our life. We're digging into those, and we're talking about what does it look like to be all in and all out in, in all aspects. And so today, I'm actually pretty excited because I get the privilege of talking about the most fun aspect of them all. And tonight, today, we're actually going to be talking about the aspect of your resources, Okay, so today we're gonna talk about your resources. We wanna talk today about, that's right, buckle up, I wanna talk about your money. I wanna talk about your stuff, your possessions. Okay, that's what we're gonna talk about. Now, before you get up and leave, because I know for some of you, you're like, suddenly I have to go to the bathroom now. You know, I didn't notice it was cold, but now I'm gonna go, you know. And um, before you get up and leave, let me ease your mind a little bit in this conversation, because here's what I know. I know that anytime we talk about money, especially in a setting like this, or we talk about possessions, that there's always a tension that comes along with it. And I, I get, especially if you're someone that's newer here to Grace, like if you just started coming to Grace, or if this is your first time here, you don't know us and you don't trust us, man, th- this can be an awkward conversation, honestly. And I think some of that is for good reason, because I think all of us know that traditionally and historically, uh, there has been a negative stigma as it relates to the church and money. Some of that's been pretty legitimate, right? There's been some abuse that's happened in this arena, and so there is some uh, reason for skepticism. But let me, let me just ease your, your, your mind for a minute by just letting you know, okay, that in this conversation, when I say I wanna talk about your resources, that I wanna talk about your money, and I wanna talk about your possessions, I just wanna let you know that if you're waiting for a sales pitch, so if you're like, oh, I see how this is gonna go, Church is gonna ask me for money. Here it comes. Somewhere in the sermon, it's gonna happen. There's some kind of financial thing going on. Let me just ease your mind and say, if you're waiting for that, it's actually not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. We're not trying to raise any money for anything. Uh, well, actually, take it back. We might need a new heater. I'm not sure how that works out. We're not trying to raise any, we're not in a building project right now. Uh, we're not in a budget crisis. As a matter of fact, right now, our budget is actually in a healthier place than it's ever been as a campus. Um, I'm not trying to buy a private jet. Uh, I don't need a new suit. I don't even wear suits. I I tell people all the time, I I joke with them, I say there's only two times I wear a suit, and if I wear a suit, it's either really good news or it's really bad news, right? It's either because someone's getting married or it's because someone died. Those are the only two reasons I wear a suit. So I'm not, I I just wanna ease your conscience. We're not talking about resources because there's some kind of need that way. There's not gonna be a sales pitch if you're waiting for one. So why are we talking about our resources and why are we talking about our money? Well, here's why, and I need you to hear me clearly on this. Look up here for a second. The reason that we wanna talk to you about your resources and your money is because it is impossible to talk about worship 
without talking about your resources, without talking about your money. The reason that we're having this conversation about your resources and your money and your possessions is because it is impossible to talk about what you worship without getting into this arena. Why is that? Because there is an inseparable link between your money and what you worship, between your resources and what you worship. There's an inseparable link between those two things. And, and by the way, just in case you wonder, that is not an original thought with me. That's not even my opinion. That's actually what Jesus said. Famously, some of you might remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, uh, Jesus said these words, and he said them on multiple occasions, but this is one occasion. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that is where your resources are, are where your money is, he says, there your heart will be also. So you see what Jesus says. He says, there is this inseparable link between your money and your resources and what occupies your heart. There's an inseparable link between these two. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. He says, if you want to know what's in your heart, if you want to know what occupies your affections, if you want to know uh, the thing, really, that you worship, the thing that you place the most value in inside, he says it's actually really easy. You just need to look at your money. You just need to look at your resources, and that's gonna draw a direct line to what it is that you worship. In fact, I would, I would even just say this, that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think that you owe it to yourself to know what, because we said everyone worships. I think you owe it to yourself to find out what you worship, and if you wanna find out what you worship, the Bible says it's actually pretty easy. You just look at where your money goes. In fact, if I could say it this way, I'd say I think this is what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying this, that if you want to know where your heart is all in, you just need to look at where your money goes all out. If you want to know where your heart is all in, you just need to look at where and how your money goes all out because that's going to help you locate how those two things are tied together. What occupies your heart, what you're all in about in your heart is going to work itself out and one of the areas that that's going to happen it's just going to work itself out in your treasure, in your money, and your possessions. And that's, now, here's what I want to do, because I know that, that that might sound like an interesting concept. So let me give you a practical example of how this fleshes itself, how this reality fleshes itself out in the Bible. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bibles if you have them, and I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 4. Okay, so this is where we're going to go to tonight in the Bibles. We're going to go to Acts 4. And uh, so you can go ahead and grab your Bibles and get there. And uh, if you did not... Um, bring a Bible with you here this evening. That's not a problem at all. You can just grab one of the Bibles that we have, I think, in the chairs underneath you, and you can turn to page 761 in those black Bibles. And then, of course, I'll just mention that if you're a guest with us tonight and you don't own a Bible, man, we think it's so important that you have one, and so you can just take one of our Bibles and just make that a gift from us to you. Okay, so Acts chapter four, however you wanna get there, go ahead and get there. And as you're flipping there, let me just give you a little bit of context as what we're about to witness here in this passage. Like I said, we're gonna get a practical example of what it looks like to be all out and all in as it relates to our resources. What does it look like to worship God all out, all in with our resources and money? We're gonna have a very practical example here. And what we're gonna see in Acts chapter four is we're actually gonna get a window. We're gonna see a small window into the first church. So this is actually the first church. So the Bible kind of explains that after the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, which is what the New Testament accounts for, that after that had happened, the disciples or the apostles, they're sometimes called, the guys who followed Jesus, that the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down on them in Acts chapter two. The first church began, and now we're gonna get a window, a really cool little picture into what their life was like. 
And so Acts chapter four is gonna give us a picture of that. And like I said, what we're gonna see is we're gonna see a, a window into their life specifically as it relates to their resources, as it relates to their money and how they were all in and how they were all out. So let's take a look together. We're gonna start in verse 32. Here's what the passage says. It says, all of the believers, so that's all the Christians, all of the, the and this is the first church, all the people who follow Jesus, the Bible says, they were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And so with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they bought the money from the sales, or they brought the money from the sales, and they would put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And now let's just go ahead and pause there. Again, this is, like I said, a pretty short passage and, a, and kind of a small window. But I think what you can see when you look into this window of this early church, of this first church, is you can see pretty clearly in this passage you can see that they had a different perspective as it related to their resources and as it related to their money. You could see this. In fact, if you, my guess is even just from a first glance, you can realize that the way these people viewed their money and the way they viewed their stuff was quite honestly foreign to the way that many people and most of us view our money and view our stuff. I just want you to observe for a minute with me. Notice some of their outward actions and behaviors as it related to their stuff, as it related to their money. So check it out. The Bible says that this group of people, that no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. So one of the things you see, like I said, you get a window into this, the, the early church, and one of the things that you see was happening with them is they viewed their possessions and they viewed their stuff with radical selflessness, the Bible says that they, they would look at their stuff and they didn't view it as their own. That they were like, it's not mine, not mine. And they shared everything. They would give selflessly. It was like a kind of a strange community where, where there's these people that would just share stuff. They'd be like, oh, you need a truck? Well, I got a truck. My truck is your truck. You can borrow my truck. You know, whose house are we gonna have dinner at? Your house or my house? Doesn't matter, man. Mi casa, su casa, right? My house is your house. And they, they had this extraordinary selflessness in the way that they viewed their resources and the way they viewed their possessions. I want you to notice what else the Bible says. Look at this. The Bible says that there were no needy persons among them. There was no one that was in need among them. So the Bible says not only did they view their stuff and their resources selflessly, but these people gave generously. Uh, that within this community, that the needs of the community would, would, would be filled. That there was no needy person among them because these people would give generously of their resources and give generously of their money and their finances to help each other. I mean, this is pretty abnormal. And then I want you to notice this. The Bible says that these people, I think this is so interesting, not only that they were generous and not only that they were selfless with their resources, but notice the Bible says that they would give sacrificially. So it says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses would sell them and they brought the money from the sales and they would put it at the apostles' feet, right? That's the church leaders who would distribute to anyone who is in need. And so the Bible says that these people would give sacrificially. 
that whenever there was a need, whenever there was a big need, or whenever there was something, you know, if they were planning a church, we're going to see this later on in the book of Acts, whenever there was a church planning thing that was happening, or whenever God's work was moving, or whenever there was a need within the community, these people would give sacrificially. They'd be like, man, there's a, there's a need. All right, well, I got a boat, and so I'll sell my boat, and we'll use, we'll use the money from that, and we'll, we'll give sacrificially to see to see the, the, the needs of the poor met, to see the work of God expanded. In fact, the very next verse after this, I, I don't have it on the screen, but in your Bibles, it even says that there's a guy named Barnabas, old Barney. And the Bible says that Barney had an extra plot of land and he sold it. He was like, well, there's a need. I'll sell my, I've got some extra real estate. I'll sell that. We'll use that. And, and here's the thing. When you notice outwardly what, what these people were doing, you see they were all out with their resources and with their money. Honestly, in a way, that let's just be honest, for many of us, and myself included, seems radical. Like, this seems crazy. When I, I remember when I first read this, and even when I was rereading it this past week and looking at this, I just thought to myself, man, I, that's, that's crazy. Like, this almost, it almost looks like, it almost looks like a cult. Like, it, it almost looks like communism. Like, every, no one thought anything was their own. And honestly, when I read it, I thought, maybe they took it a little too far. Maybe these people went a little bit too far with all of this. Because I don't know about you, but I hardly know anybody that's expressing this type of uh, perspective and is this all out with their stuff, with their money, with their resources. Here's what I love about this passage. Here's what I love about this passage so much. Is that it doesn't simply reveal to us what these people were all out about financially. But this passage is actually going to reveal to, to us what was going on on the inside. What was it that was happening within these people that caused them to go all out with their money and their stuff and their resources? What was the posture of all in that created this all out? And this is so important. And I want you guys just to notice, it's actually tucked away right in the middle of this verse. You'll see it. It's so powerful. I don't want you to miss this. Look at this, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just pause there. Some people read that and they think that that's just, oh, that's just another thing that was happening. No, no, there, there's a reason this verse is in the middle of such immense generosity. Why is it? Well, the Bible says that there was these apostles, right? And you guys know the apostles, they were the guys, they were the disciples. They were the guys who walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. These were the guys who heard Jesus teach. They saw him crucified, and then they saw him alive again. And the Bible says that day after day, the apostles with great power would testify to the resurrection. They would talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, if you're a person investigating Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection is the central message of Christianity. It's what we call the gospel. It's what it is. It's that Jesus Christ, who is God himself, was sacrificed on a cross and rose from the dead to seal our redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. And so the apostles would teach that message day after day after day. The gospel, the gospel, the resurrection, and Jesus. And look what happened. Look what happened next. And God's, say it with me, God's grace. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. 
So here's what I love about this passage. Like I said, it tells us that, yes, these guys were all out. They were all out. But it says the reason they were all out is because there was something that was powerfully at work within. And what was it that was so powerfully at work within them that made them go so crazy, so, so outlandishly all out with their resources and their money? And the Bible says that it was God's grace that was so powerfully at work within them. I actually love, in the original language, if you pull this back, when it says God's grace was so powerfully at work, literally in the Greek it says grace, but it says megas grace. And can you guys tell what English word we get from megas? Can you guess? Mega, right? So what does the Bible say? Why, why were these people compelled to live this way? Here's why. Because God's grace was mega in their hearts. Right? God's grace so occupied their affections. It's so, it was such a real and prevalent reality within them. The gospel and the grace of God that they could not stop themselves. It was so powerfully at work within them that it could not help but work itself out of them. And it worked itself out. And how did it show up? It showed up in unearthly generosity. And the way they viewed their stuff and their resources and their money, they, they gave liberally, they shared everything, they gave generously, they gave sacrificially. Why? Because the gospel was at work within them and as it worked, as God's grace worked inside of them, it started to work itself out of them. That's interesting. I don't know if this is helpful for you, but as I was reading this this past week, I couldn't help but think of, I was thinking about, man, you know, <clears throat> something working powerfully within you that, that you can't help but it just comes out of you. And the thought that kept coming to my mind was, did you guys ever, um, you, you ever notice how some people, they just have rhythm? Did you ever notice that? Like some people just got rhythm. They just have a sense of rhythm within them. I always think it's funny. I think our campus, by and large, doesn't. And uh, I've noticed this when we try to clap to songs. Um, it's just like, we'll make it so far, and then once we get to the chorus, we all just fall off. We're like, can't do it, you know. But uh, you notice how like, some people just, they just got rhythm, and they just got it. And, uh, and I just tell you, my wife is one of these people. She's got rhythm, and, and whenever a song comes on the radio or even when it plays in the background, she can't help herself. She'll just start bobbing her head or tapping her finger or moving, right? She just can't help it. And if you know my wife, you've probably experienced this. Like if you talk to her out in the cafe or somewhere and you're you, mid-conversation, right? Mid-sentence, you're in a conversation. The song plays on the radio, you'll see her. She'll just start shaking. And you'll be like, what are you doing? And she'll be like, what are you talking about? And he'd be like, what are you doing right now? And she's like, what? And you're like, you're dancing. And she'd be like, didn't notice. You know, and she'll just, she just got it in her. It just can't, she can't stop it. You can try to hold her down. It won't work. It comes out of her. And the cool thing, I love this so much, is that um, I, I think I told you we have three kids and we have a fourth on the way. We actually find out the gender next week, so I'm super pumped about that. But uh, our little princess, Gracie, takes after her mama. So she's got this sense of rhythm. She's one and a half. And I'll just tell you, it's crazy. She's born with it. It's in her, because as long as, even when she was itty-bitty, I still remember, man, it was insane to see this, this little girl, when a song comes on the radio or something, she just starts shaking in her chair. And so we would be, at, we'll be at dinner or something, and she'll be in her high chair, we'll all be eating, we'll put a song on the radio. I do it now for fun, because I, it happens all the time. I'll put a song on the radio, and she, she'll be eating, and without even thinking about it or doing anything, you just see her start shaking in her chair, keeps eating. 
You turn the volume up and she starts her head getting in there. Like she just goes at it. Like it's, what's in her just comes out of her. Like she can't stop. It happened in the grocery store. We're walking, this was a couple weeks ago. We're in the grocery store. I have her in the cart. We're pushing down the aisle. And that Rick Astley song came on the radio. You guys know what I'm talking about? The, the Rick Rolled song, the Never Gonna Give You Up, that one. Anyway, any takers? All right, good, a couple of you. So I, that song came on, and when the, when the 80s drums started on that song, she just started shaking in her thing. And I was like, look, here's the thing. I never had to teach her to do that. I never have to coerce her to do that. I never have to command her, Gracie, dance now. All I have to do is turn on the radio and turn up the volume, and what is in her is going to come out of her. You can't stop it. And listen, here's what the Bible says. Look at this again. The Bible says that God's grace was so powerfully at work within them that as the song of the grace and the generosity of Jesus, that as the message of the fact that God was so generous that he gave his son and that Jesus was so generous that he gave his life and Jesus gave sacrificially and Jesus gave generously and Jesus gave selflessly. And as that message started to massage itself in these people, it became so mega in their hearts that all of a sudden they couldn't help themselves, right? They're just like, man, I just wanna give. I just, I, I just need to give something, right? I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> That's what happened, right? They're like, man, Jesus gave and Jesus was selfish and Jesus was, and man, I just, I just wanna be selfish and I wanna be out selfless and I just wanna be sacrificial. Like, why? Because it was at work in them, right? And you guys, I think this is really important. And the reason this is so important is because, and you guys know this, especially if you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church, it is entirely possible to do the right things to do the right outward behaviors for the wrong reasons. And unfortunately, I think, especially if you're a person that grew up in church, I think we've probably been told before that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should give graciously, you should give selflessly, you should give sacrificially, you should give to the poor, you should give to the needy, you should give to the work of God, you should give to your church, you should tithe. You've probably been told that before. But I can't help but wonder, have you ever been told why? Has anyone ever told you that the motivation of what, what, what causes that to happen? This is huge. Because I want you to notice, the Bible does not say, it does not say, notice, it does not say that they were generous and they gave because God's law was so powerfully at work within them all. It's not what it says. Right? In other words, the reason they did this was not out of a sense of obligation or commandment. It's not why. And honestly, for some of us, maybe, maybe especially if you're a church person, I know not all of you are church people, but if you grew up in a church, my guess is maybe you've been told that, hey, you need to give and you should tithe and you should sacrifice and you should give to poor. Why? Because God said so. Just give. Why? Because God said. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a follower of Jesus, did God say that we should be generous and that we should give? And in the Old Testament, did God say we should tithe? Did he say that? Yeah. Yeah, he did say that. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that when, when obligation is the only motivation for our generosity, it is short-sighted. You guys know this. It's possible to modify your behavior, but your heart never changes. Your heart never changes. So it doesn't say that these people were motivated by God's law. That's not what was motivating them. There was something greater than the law that was work within them. And once you notice this passage says, it does not say that great guilt was so powerfully at work within them all that there was no needy person among. It doesn't say that. 
Listen, here's the thing you and I both know. Um, Guilt is a very powerful motivator. I think a lot of us understand that. And, And unfortunately, what can happen a lot of times is the Christian life of generosity, the all-out generosity that the Bible calls the follower of Jesus to, oftentimes is sometimes pushed on us with a guilt-centered mentality because, again, guilt is a powerful motivator. I think we've all seen this before, right? I think this is why many organizations that rely on the donations of generous people will, will oftentimes leverage guilt Did you ever notice this? I can't help but think of, I was thinking about those, you guys remember those commercials? I think it was for like some kind of like abused animal organization. I can't remember what it was called, but it would be like a Sarah McLachlan thing. And they would show these like images of these just like, I mean, just, it's not, I shouldn't laugh, it's not funny at all. But they'd show these images of just these abused animals. And you would see like a dog with one eye and like a cat sticking its tongue on the side of its mouth and the song would play over top of it. You know what I'm talking about? I will remember you. And you like have that. And then like by the end of the commercial, you're in tears and you feel terrible. And then Sarah McLaughlin shows up and she's petting some deranged animal. And she's like, for 47 cents, you know, you can, you can help an animal you selfish jerk. Like she doesn't say, she doesn't say the last part, but she might as well, right? And like, and like by the time it's done, you're like, I feel bad. I feel terrible about myself. And I need to give 47 cents a month, Sarah McLaughlin. And like, what is that? That's guilt. And that's a powerful motivator. But here's what I've learned about guilt. Guilt short-lived. And we stop feeling guilty. We stop or we don't care anymore. Or we see, we see the commercial and we just flip the channel doesn't work anymore. So the Bible says, notice it was not great guilt that was at work in these peoples. It was not great greed that was at work within these people. Unfortunately, and maybe some of you have seen this before, one of the motivators for generosity in the Christian life for those who follow Jesus, sometimes, um, sometimes people will use greed. And so they'll say things like this. Maybe you've, seen, maybe you've seen this on TV. A lot of this is the TV junk you see where you see someone that says, hey, if you give to the work of God, He's gonna increase you by 100 times, 100%. You give him $10, he's gonna give you 100. You give him 1,000, he's gonna give you 10,000, right? And man, if you give to God, you're gonna be blessed. And if you give to the things of God, you know, your kids are always gonna be healthy and you're gonna get the promotion at work and you're gonna get more money and your hair's gonna grow back and everything's gonna go great for you if you just do that. And, and listen, without a doubt, it's true. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, if you're a generous person, you will be blessed, but it's not motivated out of greed, and it's not often in the ways that we think. I don't think the blessing shows up in those ways. So what is it that's so powerfully at work? Here it is, it's God's grace. God's grace, what is it that allows us to live an all-out life with our resources and our money and our stuff, the way God desires for those of us who worship God? It's only when God's grace is so powerfully at work within us that that can happen. You know, it's interesting, you see this, not just only in this passage in Acts, this carries itself through the rest of the Bible. In fact, let me show you another example. In the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is talking to a church in Corinth and he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now look at this, not reluctantly or not under compulsion. In other words, he says, don't, don't give begrudgingly. Why? Because that's the wrong all in. He says, don't give under compulsion. That is because you're forced Why? That's the wrong all in. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful, willing giver. That's what he says. He says the same thing similar in uh, 2 Corinthians 8. 
He says, but since you excel in everything, talking to these people in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love that, uh, that we have kindled in you, look at this. See also that you excel in the grace of giving. Here's what he says. He says, man, you should, if you follow Jesus, you should go all out with your money and your stuff. And you should. You should go all out and be selfless and be generous and, and be sacrificial. You should go all out. But look what he says next. This is huge. I'm not commanding you. This isn't a commandment. This isn't like obligatory. This isn't a guilt trip. And then he says this. Now notice, this is so huge. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. See what Paul says? He says, you should be generous. You should be generous. Why? Not under compulsion, not because you're forced, not out of reluctance, not because I'm commanding you. Why? Because you know the grace of God. Because think about the grace. Think about Christ. Think about how though he was rich. When was Jesus rich? The Bible says that Jesus is equal with God and that with Jesus, as he sat at the right hand of God, all the luxuries and all of the wealth of heaven was his. All of it was And the Bible says that though he was rich, he became poor. How did Jesus become poor? Well, the Bible says in Philippians chapter two, Christ did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the very form of a servant. He humbled himself, he became a person, and Jesus came to this earth and he lived a life of poverty. He he humbled himself, he emptied himself of the riches and luxuries of heaven. He came to earth, and by the way, when he came to earth, he didn't come in prestige and royalty, The Bible says that he was born in a borrowed manger. He was uh, buried in a borrowed tomb. He lived a life of relative obscurity. He he was the son of of a carpenter. The Bible says that he died on a criminal's cross and he emptied himself, he made himself poor. Made himself poor, why? So that we could become rich. So that as he poured himself out, he took our place on the cross so that we could take his place as the sons and daughters of God. And when that message starts to turn up in your heart, when you go all in for the grace of God through Jesus Christ, it's gonna change you. It's going to change you. It's gonna make you different. And grace is what motivates this. It's interesting, I was, um, again, just the past week, trying trying to think of a, because I know a lot of this can kind of sound a little abstract and uh, a a little bit theoretical. So I was trying to think, I mean, how do we, how do I practically explain to you kind of some of how this works. And the illustration that I keep coming back to, it's actually an illustration I've used before if you've been here at the Medina campus, but I, I, can't, I can't think of a better one, so hopefully it's, it's a helpful thing. But I, I keep thinking about, um, because it's been so powerful in my life, I keep thinking about um, when I was, uh, uh, the, an experience that I uh, had the benefit of experiencing back when I was in college. So um, some of you know if you've been here for a while that I went to a school in Chicago, went to a Bible school, and uh, got a four-year awesome degree, ministry degree at that school. It was an incredible education. And uh, the, the thing about this school that I, even right now, I just feel spoiled even telling you this. The thing about this, this school that was so amazing was that, is that every student that goes to this school at this location is able to go with their tuition fully paid. And so I, got, I had four years of education at this school, incredible education, and my tuition for the entire time, that again, I feel so spoiled even saying it, but it was totally paid for. And the reason that that's able to happen for every student that goes to this school is because this school is set up like no other school I've ever seen. 
And the way it's set up is that the previous alumni who've come before and other generous, uh, generous people give. And they give and give and give in such a way that all of the students that go to the school have their tuition paid for. And what that allows you to do is when you graduate from this Bible school like I did, you have zero, uh, you have zero student loans. And so you're able to go freely into ministry. And so because of that, I was able to graduate with zero debt and go right into ministry. I was able to start working at Grace Church at our Bath campus as an intern, right? And of course, some of you know if you're an intern, you're, not, you're making an intern's salary, right? And so because of that, I, I always joke around about that time in my life. I, uh, I, had, I, I had an apartment that I split with four other guys, and I had an office. My first office as an intern was literally in the basement closet and uh, with uh, canned goods, and I had to share it with another guy. Like that was, that was, and, and I, it was awesome, but I would have never been able to do that had it not been for the grace and the generosity of someone else who allotted that opportunity to me. Now, let me just tell you what's happened. Since I've been the recipient of that grace, year after year, as time goes by, my appreciation and understanding of what has been done for me grows. And it gets bigger in my life. Like when I first graduated, like I remember when I first got there, they said, you know, your, your tuition is covered by the alumni and other people. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And then I graduated and I started talking to other people who were my age that also graduated. And I saw that they were tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And I started to say, man, I am so thankful. And the more the time has gone by, the more grateful I've become for that. Let me just tell you that as that increases in my heart, here's what happens it begins to work itself in me. And now I'm like, I wanna do something. I wanna, I'm so thankful for what, what, what's been given to me. I wanna do something. And so here's how that shows up. About once a month, uh, sometimes more than that, I get, I'll get a letter from my school because I'm an alumni. And at the letter, now listen, it's not a bill. I don't get a bill from, I don't owe them anything. My tuition has been totally paid for. I don't owe them anything, but I'll get a letter. And in that letter, it's an update. They talk about the cool things that are happening through the students at the school, about what God is up to. And at the end of the letter, every time, I know it's gonna be there, they ask for a generous gift. And they say, would you be willing to invest and partner with us in investing in the next generation? And do you know what happens in my heart when I see that? I don't get mad. I don't get angry. I don't feel, I don't feel uh, reluctant. I don't feel obligated. I feel thankful. And I'm like, man, I am so thankful that someone did that for me. I can't believe that someone did that for me. And so you know what happens is a lot of times I wanna give. And listen, a lot of times I wanna give more. I'm like, I, want, I wish I could give more. I start looking around. Can I sell, can I sell one of my kids? give more. I want to give more, right? Now, let me just say something. If you're a person that has student loans right now, or if you did have student loans, my guess is your experience when you got your letter is very different, right? When Freddie Mac sends you the letter and you're writing the check, my guess is there's no joy in your heart, right? My guess is you're not writing that check going, oh man, Freddie Mac, I just want to give you more, <laughs> I just wanna, after I'm done paying it off, I'm gonna keep going, Freddie. Like, no way. You, probably through gritted teeth, you're like, I will never give another penny to this. And when you get a letter from your school, you're like, I hate that place. I wanna burn it down, right? And why is that? 
It's, it's because there's two things at work. One is grace. One is motivated by grace. And the other one's motivated differently. And the Bible says that when, it, listen, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have been the beneficiaries of a divine generosity. Christ has made himself poor that we might become rich. And when that message occupies your heart, when that becomes, when you worship Jesus for real, one of the ways that manifests itself is you're gonna become a generous person. And if you're not becoming a generous person, I think it means the coin hasn't dropped yet. I think it means that you haven't fully understood exactly what God's grace means. And so what would I encourage you to do? Give more? No, here's what I encourage you to do. Let God's grace ring loudly in your heart and ring loudly in your life. And as that happens, you'll start dancing. You'll start dancing the dance of generosity. It's gonna happen. Because when God's grace is big in your heart, that's what shows up, right? Jesus said it best, man. Jesus said it best. He said, your money is gonna show where your heart is. Where your money goes all out, your heart's all in. Your heart's all in. And those two things are connected, what you worship and where your money goes. Ask the band to come up, and, uh, and as they do, I, I just wanna uh, close our conversation today with, with a couple, just two, kind of two thoughts, and, and um, thoughts kind of challenges, sort of. Here's the first one, right? Here's my first sort of thought for you. So Jesus said it really well. He said, where your treasure is is where your heart is, right? There's an there's a, there's a inseparable link between your, your heart and your worship, and so, so here would be my question for you to consider. Where is your money and resources? Where are they going all out? Where and how does your money go all out? And what does that say about where your heart is all in? I just want you to think about it. Now, even, listen, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think you owe it to yourself to know what you worship. And it's pretty easy to figure it out. You just gotta look at your checkbook. You just gotta look at your credit card statements. You just have to look at where your money goes, where your resources go. What is your view of those things? Because where your money is is where your heart is occupied, right? It's what you worship. It's pretty easy to see. And so I would encourage you, maybe even just think about that. Here's a question to consider. Consider this question. Where do you most easily and effortlessly spend and give of your money and resources? Right now, just think about it. Where do you most easily and effortlessly, and on the flip side, where do you most begrudgingly give or you know, spend of your resources and your money? So for example, and I think if you can answer that question, I think you're actually sniffing down the right trail towards what you worship. So, so for example, if you would say, man, the place, you know, I, if you would be like, I have no problem, I have a hard time, you know, eating out, like I don't like to eat out, it's a waste of money, I don't have a hard time with that. But if you're like, you know where I spend my money most easily and effortlessly is on clothes. I have no problem spending money on clothes. In fact, I might have a problem spending on clothes, right? That, that's where I most easily and effortlessly, on clothes, on fashion, on fitness, right? What, what is that, here's a question, what does that say about your heart? What does that say? I think, I think here's what it tells you. It tells you that you're probably sniffing towards what you worship. So you're like, you mean I worship clothes? No, no, what I mean is, is that maybe for you, the reason that you go all out on those things is because all in, the place where you find your identity and your security and your value is in the way you look. And so that, that's where you're all tied up. And because of that, where you are all in, you will go all out with your resources. Maybe for you, it's not clothes, it's not that kind of stuff. Maybe for some of you, you have a difficult time giving money to the work of God or to the things of God 
but you don't have a problem giving to a bigger home or to a nicer car. Why is that? To status symbols. Why is that? Well, it's very possible that what's happening is there's something, there's, there's another God down there that's occupying your heart. And what is it? Well, maybe for you, the place where you find your worth and your significance and your value is in the way that you compare to other people. It's, it's, it's in status. It's in status symbols. And so because of that, where your heart is, where your heart is occupied, that's where your money's gonna go. Maybe it's entertainment, maybe whatever it is. But I think answering that question is actually gonna, it's gonna help you. You're sniffing down the right trail, right? You're sniffing down the right trail. And then here, here's the second thing I want you to think about, okay? And that's this. I know we've spent pretty much our whole time talking about what it means to go all in. What is the right motivation to give? And I think that's the right place to spend the bulk of our time. But I know I've given very little time practically talking about what does it look like to go all out and what are some practical steps you can take to go all out. And so for that, what I want to do is I want to encourage you to, if you want to, if you don't want to, then don't. But I would encourage you, if you want to, you can actually go ahead and you can text this number right now, uh, 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 this this these letters, I should say, to this number. So you can text AOAI to 41411. It might ask you to reply. It might not, but if you reply, you can reply why. And if you do that, what it'll do is it's gonna give you some practical ways that you can go all out. Okay, what does it look like to go all out? And it's gonna send you something, some information on something that here at the Benigni East Campus we call 4P generosity. We get that right from the scripture. It's what we encourage anyone who follows Jesus to go all in and all out with their finances and with their money and their stuff. What does that look like? And that gives you some practical examples of how that kind of plays out. If you do not have a phone or a smartphone or whatever, you can also get a physical copy of that at the Welcome Center if you want to. And again, if you don't want to, don't. And if you want to, go for it. It's great. But all in, all out in our resources and our money, where our treasures is where our heart is. Let's pray together. Well, God, I just want to say thank you for your word to us tonight, God, and thanks, Jesus, that you talk so much in the Bible about our money, and I think, uh, I think the reason you do that is because you know very well, you know very well that when you're talking about our money and our resources, you're actually talking about our worship, and, uh, and God, you're, you're, you, you understand that, and so I pray, Jesus, that you would help us tonight search our own hearts. For those of us who worship you, for those of us who claim that we believe you're the Lord of our life, God, I pray you'd help us to really thoroughly investigate this area in our hearts. And Lord, help us to realize what we are all in for and what we're all out about. And God, I ask you that you would just, uh, by your spirit, work in us and reveal. God, I pray that your grace in our hearts would be mega. I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the generosity, the generosity of you, Jesus, that you, God, you so love the world that you gave, you gave. And God, I know that when, when that message starts to permeate our hearts, that we will find ourselves dancing to the rhythm of your grace. We'll find that, uh, that generosity pours out of us because of your grace poured into us. So that's what we pray for. We don't want <clears> to <throat> give because we feel obligated or because we, we feel reluctant or any of those things. I think that points to the fact there's something amiss in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that you just point us in the right direction. Help us. For those who maybe are investigating you here tonight, I really want to pray for them too. Uh, Lord, I ask you that you would help open their eyes to what it is that they do worship because we all worship something. And so, Father, I pray that, uh, that you would reveal that and help us to really ask the question, honestly, is it worth it? 
Is it worth our worship? And uh, Father, we just, we just want to proclaim to you that we believe that you are worth our worship, that you're the only one who's worth it. And we just want to uh, ask these things and pray these things in Christ's name.